And let's bring in Jonas Siegel, our good friend. I just flew solo for five minutes and 26 seconds, Jonas. So <laughs> I was, uh, I'm very proud of myself. Um, and talking basketball. Love basketball. Me too. Love basketball. Love, love all sports. I, it's always amazed me, Jonas, that people say, you know, how can you like tennis? I'm a hockey fan. I like all sports. I, yeah, I like, me too. I like some more than most, more than others. But I mean, I, I love all sports. I mean, I, I find sports interesting. I find the the characters interesting and the stories interesting. So, who says you have to like one sport over the other? Yeah, is there one sport that you that people like more than you? Like you just can't get into. Like for me, it's golf. Like I, um, I would love to like golf more than I do, but I don't. A sport that I wish I liked more. I. I have bad history with cricket. I did cricket once on <laughs> TSN and didn't do very well, and rugby. I wish I, yeah, rugby. I, I botched rugby on TSN about 20 years ago, and I, I'd like a do-over on that, because I think rugby is a great sport. But, yeah, I, I wish I'd done better at it. So you have an interview today in The Athletic with Austin Matthews. When was it done? Uh, last week. Okay, so I saw him at Bobby Orr's golf tournament on Friday. Very affable and friendly and seems to be in a good state of mind. I was intrigued by... A couple of things, a lot of it's interesting, but I was intrigued by a couple of things. And first and foremost was when you asked him about the meeting with Mike Babcock and how he he made the point that, look, coaches and players aren't always going to be on the same page. Do you think that too much was made at the end of last season about a disconnect between Mike Babcock and Austin Matthews? I do, but I can understand how it could kind of spin the way it did. Like, I just think that's probably more normal than we think it is. And we just don't hear about it all the time. Like, I, I just don't think uh, coaches and players are always like hunky dory. Like I'm working on a story about another player and I was talking to his, his old coach and, and he was telling me stories about the two of them, like not always agreeing on everything and having like fiery meetings, but it was all, it was all okay. And so I could see a situation where there is some strain between Babcock and Matthews given everything that's happened, like given what was going on in that playoff series, given that like it's a really long year and Mike Babcock is really demanding. And I can imagine a situation where he's pushing and he's pushing and he's pushing. And at some point, you know, Matthews in that situation, you know, where he's not scoring, where he's frustrated, maybe bites back. Like, I I just think it's more normal than we think it is. And even the meeting, uh, like players and coaches meet in the summer. I do think it was interesting that, that, Babcock did travel to see him so soon after the year that that makes me think that you know he was probably concerned that there was some lingering discontent that he had to handle but I I, I tend to think it's probably more normal than we think it is okay but let me ask you this though if Connor McDavid had come out and said in an interview this week that that he and Todd McClellan weren't always on the same page yeah I think that'd be big news But, but but let me ask you this is it is it odd that a coach and players wouldn't a coach and player wouldn't always agree on everything? Is that unusual? No, I don't think it's unusual. I think it's unusual that it has it become so public here. I think it's unusual that yeah. it's become for however it became public. It has become. I mean, I'm not saying that they're at you know they're at each other's throats. I'm not suggesting that. I have no evidence to that to that case one way or the other. But yeah. there was a meeting, and there yeah. have been discussions about it, and it does seem to be. I mean. He is for, He was forty first last year in ice time for centers, mm-hmm. and and I got to think, Jonas, that this year, all year long, as soon as the game's over, we're going to be looking at the game sheet to see how much did he play. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, 
Yeah, but but but, he, but this year it's going to be even more difficult for his ice time to actually go up because they've just added one of the best centers in the league. Right. But but it's tough. Like I understand it from both sides. Like I think there's a point in that in the interview where you know Matthews mentions like something about every player wanting to play more, and I think you know power play is probably part of that. But if you're Mike Babcock in that situation, like think of it from a, a few different perspectives. Like for one thing, like you look at the power play in particular, their their other power play unit, the one that didn't have Matthews on it, was awesome. So why would Mike Babcock, given that, start playing Matthews more on the power play if the other unit's helping them win? The other part that I think makes more sense, like you look at how much Connor McDavid plays, for example, or Barkov, who plays I think close to 22 minutes a game. Why wouldn't you want to try to conserve Austin Matthews if you could to save him for the playoffs? Like the, the wear and tear, like you look at the, the extra minutes of just playing, you know, two, three minutes more a game over 80 games, that adds up. Like we've right. seen this more in the NBA where they really make an effort about conserving their stars. I just think it, it should be more commonplace in hockey that if you can afford it, play your top guys a little bit less in, in hopes of keeping them fresh for the playoffs. And especially last year, you know, given some of the injuries that Matthews went through. But again, like I could understand it from Matthews' perspective, wanting to play more. What was your take on his feeling about the playoffs? You asked him about, you know, the, the playoff series against the Bruins. What was, what was your feeling on that? I think like it was, there were, there were a couple points in those playoffs where you, I'm sure you remember, Gord, like he got, he was very frustrated. He was frustrated, for sure. You could because, see it. Because, like, he expects to score. He's counted on to score, and he's not scoring. And he did, He wasn't dominant like you expect him to be. Um, but I think there's probably a part of him that looks at that series, and, and he kind of mentions this, and looks at it in terms of, like, he was generating opportunities. They weren't going in. It's a short series. They come back, and they, like, I don't know. Like I, I could just understand for, from his perspective being frustrated, but also knowing that a lot of what he did could have gone a different way. Like that you generate that many chances. And I think he had 27 shots in the series. A lot of it could have gone the other way where some of those chances go in and, and you're looking a little bit better. Or maybe, you know, we've seen it in the past with stars. I, I think we've seen it with Crosby. We've seen it with everyone where you have a quiet first series and then the second series you you just explode. You know, some of those chances you were getting before turn out differently. Like, I'm just saying, I, I just think the narrative could have been different if they win that game seven, they play in the second round, who knows how far they get, uh, and things start to change for him. But, you know, he's, you know, had two playoffs. One was really good. One was not as good. And, and obviously, um, you know, when you're the star player, we expect production. And when the production's not there, right. you know, you get criticism. That's That's fair. So how much should we read into the fact that he's not signed yet? That's a good question, too. Uh, I don't know that we should, just because there's no... Like, I know we looked at, you know, Connor McDavid, and I think he signed on, like, July 5th or something yeah. like that. Um, but if if I'm both sides, I'm looking... If I'm the Leafs, I'm trying to push that number down as much as I possibly could. Like, I don't I don't know what it is. Like, if... if if you're, if we think the number is eleven, you know, by set by eight, um, I would try to push that eleven down as much as I could. And if I'm the camp for Matthews, I'm saying no. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold tight and try right. to keep it as close to let's say eleven is that number 
as I possibly can, because there's, there's incentive, you know, for Matthews to not take it. You know, maybe you don't take the extension. Uh, like, there's a risk for the Leafs in not doing it now. He could go out, score 45 goals, and win the Hart Trophy. And then what's he worth? Right. Like, so that you can you can come at it from both sides and and see kind of the pressure points, but I don't know. I don't think it's it's a huge thing that it, that's not done just because there's no urgency to have it done on August whatever today is. When does the red light over your door start flashing when William Nylander's not signed? <laughs> October two, <laughs> I guess. That's but that's such a hard like that is a hard contract. What like oh. if you were the Leafs, what would you offer? Well, I think it depends what you think of him. And I'm not answering your question with a question, but if if you think he's a core piece, then then it's probably a number that starts with seven. That's that's kind of the that's kind of the going rate. Now, I would guess that they're hoping to get Marner and Nylander done for under something like thirteen and a half together. Bridging that seems very optimistic. Bridging Nylander is a really risky proposition, right? That's a really yes. risky thing. Yes, I would go. Like I, I think he's. You're right about like his potential is so difficult to kind of sort through. But at minimum, like at minimum, let's say he doesn't completely like he doesn't fulfill his potential. At minimum, is he's a twenty goal, sixty five right. point player? Is that fair? Yeah, for sure. So that's. I don't know. Like if I'm them, and and it's. I don't know, six years by close to seven, I'm doing it just because I, I, I think the, the seal, like the, the floor for him is so high and the ceiling for him is so high. Like he could, he's so interesting to me because like, unlike Marner, who's obviously exceptionally talented, he could be a scorer. Like I, if he right. scored 35 goals, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, so when will the concerns start to kick in? I guess as we tick closer to training camp, like we're like, less than a month away and the deal's not done. I just think it's a really hard deal because you can come at it from so many different ways uh, in terms of, like you said, what do you think of him? How good do you think he can be? I'm told we have to let you go. Do you have something pressing? Like in August, you're the leafer. Like, what do you, what do, you do? Like, what, what? I have a lunch, a lunch meeting that I got to get to. Oh, well, heaven forbid. What time's your lunch? 1130. It's an early lunch. Oh, it's wings. It's early wings. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! I can make the recommendation for you if you want. Hurricanes on on blue. I don't like wings. That would oh, be hard for well. me. It would be hard for me to go to a wings restaurant because I don't love wings. But enjoy your lunch. <laughs> sorry, Pierre. Or sorry, Gord. I don't know why I said Pierre. <laughs> I don't know why you said that either. <laughs> but no one's ever. Mixed I guess the, I connect you two. No one's ever mixed Pierre and I up. I, I appreciate that. Um, Jonas, thanks for the wisdom and great piece in the Athletic today. Well worth the thanks. subscription. I appreciate it. Thanks, Gord. Right, there's Jonas Siegel.